0: I am constantly putting myself in situations where I don't know what the heck is going on. I always want to be the dumbest one in the room, right? But I think that's where the growth is. That is where, you know, you ultimately do build confidence because by continuing to challenge yourself, continuing to take on new projects and new ideas, you see what you're capable of.
1: Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the podcast. I can't wait for you to hear today's episode, but real quick, I want to remind you that my program Abundant Ever After is on pre-sale right now. And this program is so good. This is the program. If you want to be making money, if you want to know how I went from making 10,000 a month to a hundred thousand a month to 500,000 a month, I am not joking you. If you want to know how I was able to change my life, to change my family's life and to let abundance pour into my life, this is the program. This is the program. You're going to start to see the wheels turn. You're going to start to feel things click. You can get in now. If you go to kathyheller.com slash join, this is going to make 2023 the most abundant year possible. And you can get in now and you can get in at the pre-sale price, which means you're paying less money than if you sign up in January, but you can start the program today. Go ahead and sign up today and get in there and let me know. Yeah, Kath, you're right. This program is phenomenal. It is changing things right now before my very eyes. Go to kathyheller.com slash join to grab your seat in there. So as you may know, we did a live event a few weeks ago and oh my gosh, it was like being transported into another dimension of love and joy and just such beauty, my dear friend Candace Nelson was one of our special guests. And I wanted to share a piece of our conversation because her book, Sweet Success, is coming up this week and everybody needs to go buy it. She's been on the podcast before, but to give you a brief refresher, Candace is an accomplished pastry chef who co-founded Sprinkles Cupcakes, the world's first cupcake bakery. She's also the co-founder of Pizzana, a Michelin bib, gourmand, neo-Neapolitan pizzeria. And she's the co-founder of CN2 Ventures, which she created to help other companies get off the ground. You may have seen her on TV as a judge for Cupcake Wars or Netflix Alexis She was also an executive producer for that show, along with the new Hulu show, Best in Dough. Candace is already a New York Times bestseller from her previous book, The Sprinkles Baking Book. And I know that this new book is going to make a huge impact. Sweet success, a simple recipe to turn your passion into profit shares her recipe for success and gives you a behind the scenes look at the mistakes, misses, and lessons she learned along the way. This book dispels the myth that entrepreneurship is reserved for an elite few. And it's really going to open your eyes to how possible this is for you too. So make sure you go get yourself a copy. I always tell Candace that she's like the real life Willy Wonka. And it's so true because everything she's done has turned into this delicious, yummy magic. You guys are going to love hearing her story and all the gems of wisdom that she's going to share. So without further ado, please welcome the delightful Candace Nelson.
0: You always look so good, P.S. You like, look so good. I was oh just like, God. look at those shoes. I look know the outfit. Kathy, you are bringing it today. <laughs> we always <laughs> oh see each other God. on Zoom and like sweatshirts. I always have like a million drinks. I got all stuff. I've got Let like me see things this, by the falling way. out of my Give purse. I'm a mess. Me. This is her new book.
1: <laughs> Sweet success. Before we dive into this, which is really what we're going to talk about, because there's so much good stuff in it, I think we should give people a little context, because they might not know what's gone down here. You were in a little kitchen in West Hollywood at one point, and then uh, you certainly weren't. You were everywhere. (laughs) Why don't you tell them a little bit about that moment before that? Like, you had this dream, but were you really going to do something with it? Were you really qualified? Mm -hmm. And then you actually decided to pursue it, and
0: it worked out. Luckily. Otherwise I wouldn't be here today. No, I'm just kidding. So I started on a very sort of traditional path, actually. I came from a family very risk averse. My dad was a corporate lawyer. There's no entrepreneurship in my family there. I didn't really have a model for that. I guess Mrs. Fields, but that was about it. (laughs) (laughs) And so I grew up, you know, education was very important in my family. I went to a very academic boarding school. I went to a liberal arts college and I was recruited to go work at an investment bank. And then I went to work for a internet startup. And so I was just marching up this path to success because that's what I figured it was like one plus one equals two. That's just how it worked. And then two things happened. The first was the dot-com bust happened. And all of a sudden I was out of a job, like literally on my butt with no prospects. Like I was like, "How? hold on, how did that happen? And then the second thing was that, so, okay, after that, there weren't very many job prospects because the dot-com bust had happened and San Francisco was kind of just in this mini recession. So I was engaged at the, at the time and I was like, I'll just finish planning my wedding, get married, go on my honeymoon and deal with probably applying to business school later. So I'd had this blissful honeymoon in the South of France with my husband, now husband and given my penchant for sweets, we'd eaten every you know tart and croissant awesome. in the country. And we were in the airport on the way back. And we noticed all of this sort of commotion at the TV screens, but it was all in French and I've taken some French, but it's it's a little rusty. So I went up to um, one of the guys at the TV screen. I asked him what was going on. And he looked at me and he said, there's something very serious going on in New York. And all the planes were starting to get grounded. And of course, as we know, that was 9-11. And so here I was as this like, Really optimistic. I mean, granted, unemployed, but like I was full of newlywed bliss. You know, I knew I was going to work it out. I was just going to go to business school, bide my time a little bit more, keep marching up that corporate path, and all of a sudden, this dark shadow just sort of oh, consumed me, as it did so so many of us. Right? It was such a traumatic event, and it really was the first time. Once I got home to San Francisco, that I was able to reflect on what it was I really wanted to do with my life, and. It was the first time I'd actually questioned what I was doing. And I realized I didn't like crunching numbers. And I wanted to do something that brought me joy and added at least a little bit of meaning back into the world. So instead of going on to business school, I decided to take a real left turn and go to pastry school. (laughs) That old story. If I had a nickel. As one does. As As one one does.
1: does. And you wound up, it was the... Yumminess that was heard around the world, like it's it's really lightning in a bottle, which you wound up creating and discovering. I would say as you allowed this magic to come through, and so many of you are familiar with Sprinkles Cupcakes, yes. And she's gone on to do so many other really delicious things, like Pizzana. I don't know if any of you had it. If you live in L. A., you have to try it. They now ship nationwide. And how many of you have seen Sugar Rush on Netflix? Yeah, of course. My kids are here. They love it. You're like such oh, a celebrity. Really? Legit. <laughs> um, but it didn't start that way. That's mm-hmm. sort of the you know middle of the story. I wouldn't say end because it's just continuing to unfold as we sit here right now. But what were the beginning steps of that? How did that begin? Did you just have this beautiful cupcake vision or were you making... Cakes and cupcakes. Like, what was
0: the beginning, and then how did that first sprinkle store open? So the beginning was nothing like this glossy cover of this book. The beginning was messy and full of doubts, and everyone telling me I would fail, and myself not even realizing that I might succeed because I didn't quite have the confidence yet. I had never flown with my own wings. I'd always been in corporate environments. I was very happy with people telling me what to do and getting the A and, you know, doing the work, but I felt very unmoored kind of being on my own. It started with an inkling. And I'll say that, you know, when I went to pastry school, I knew I was following a passion, but I didn't know what exactly that was going to look like yet. When I was planning my wedding, I happened to notice that there was a new trend on the wedding cake scene, and it was cupcake towers. And I thought, huh, cupcakes are, there's so much to love about a cupcake, right? Because they're portable, you don't need a fork and knife, and everyone can have their favorite flavor. And yet, when I was looking, you know, going through the supermarkets at the time, I would notice all these shelf-stable cupcakes that were packaged in plastic clamshells, and they just were kind of sad. And I thought, God, the cupcake could use a makeover. And you have that thought, right? The (laughs) cupcake could use a makeover. Everyone loves a makeover story.
1: (laughs) Candice, the fact that this is your thought, it's so awesome. (laughs) Okay, keep going.
0: (laughs) But the thing is, nobody else agreed with me because people were used to just paying 75 cents at Ralph's for a cupcake. But I wanted to make cupcakes aspirational and artful and giftable and elegant. I was like, let's do this. And so my husband, who, I mean, God bless him, decided to leave his job in finance to bake cupcakes with me. That's a whole other story. All of his banker friends were like, dude, you are whipped. You are whipped. (laughs) But I give him a lot of credit. He he definitely, you know, he was very humble in all of this. And so anyway, we came down to LA and even though I had these big dreams, everyone was like, you're opening a cupcake shop in LA. First of all, everyone in LA does not eat carbs. Okay. Let's just start there. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) But because I was freshly here and I had this sort of beginner's mindset and this, you know, outsider's perspective. I actually saw things a different way in this town than a lot of people who just had lived here a long time and bought into the stereotypes. As I was driving around, I was like, you know, there's a lot of burger shops and there's a whole lot of donut shops in this town. And I think some people out there are eating some carbs, but guilty, (laughs) guilty as charged. (laughs) And so it was this gut feeling, but I I had to test it on a small scale first. And this is really a message that I want to share today, which is that you got to dream those dreams, right? You got to release yourself from the rules and you got to dream those big, wild, unwieldy dreams because that's what gets you excited. But when it comes to business, it is a good idea to test those assumptions on a smaller scale before you go all in. Because entrepreneurship really is about taking a calculated risk. It's not about throwing all caution to the wind. Even though it may have looked like it as I left my high paying job to go, you know, tote cupcakes around LA. But I did work out of my little West Hollywood kitchen, baking cupcakes out of my KitchenAid mixer. And at first, my friends, of course, were feeling very sorry for me and ordering for me. There was that. Aww. But then friends of theirs started calling. And then before I knew it, people were placing orders and I could not trace how they'd found me. And I knew that then I had found some product market fit. I had found some traction. And that was sort of the wind beneath my wings to say, all right, we're going all, all in. Like my little bit of money that I had cobbled together from my few years in the working world in Charles, we just we were like, we have this much. And when it's gone, we're toast, but we are going to bet it on our dream.
1: Oh, did you hear that? Bet it on your dream! (laughs) Yes! And so important what she said when Barbara Corcoran was on my show. I said, how do you know if you're going to invest in something on Shark Tank? And she's like, I ask a really simple question, which is, did you test this and did you sell it to one person? Mm -hmm. Like proof of concept. That's it. Like, do you have proof of concept or not? And so... That is huge because most people, they stop before they start there. They don't even begin. And you were willing to test this. Mm -hmm. You were willing to try. Do your friends like it? Do they want to have it for their birthday party? And then you did a really big test, which was to open a really small Mm -hmm. little first store in a really important, influential part of town, which I'm sure was so scary and expensive, even for that tiny little footprint. But what happened?
0: Yeah, you're right. It was tiny. 600 square feet. That includes the kitchen and the front of the store. And let me tell you what, our money, this little pile over here that I was referring to, it was dwindling fast because we were having a really hard time finding a location. It was actually, I mean, it's hard to imagine now, but there were very few spaces. And Charles and I were, we were driving from, you know, Venice to Pasadena to try to find the one. And just when we thought we'd find one, it would you know fall through for some reason. And I got to a point where I was like, wow, like, is this ever going to work? Nice. I really started to lose my faith. I felt like it was hopeless. And then I went back to one of the landlords who had initially told me no. And I said, I'm going to call him again. (laughs) I'm going to make him change his mind. And I did along with a hundred thousand dollars in key money, which is the right to even pay the rent in the space. So we were like gulp, like it hurt. It was like a knife twisting in our heart. But you're right. That 90210 zip code ended up being really important for us because when you think about the fact that I was reinventing the cupcake, I was totally changing people's minds about what a cupcake could be and elevating it and making it aspirational. That was the perfect place to plunk down. (laughs) And so not only did we reinvent the cupcake from the inside out, but also the store experience. I mean, people were walking in thinking, is this a boutique? Is this a jewelry store? What is this? Like, People had never thought of a bakery as looking like that before.
1: Yeah, it's so beautiful. And the line was around the block. I was actually, I had just moved to LA and I remember hearing people talk about it and I was like, oh, I'll go check it out. And every time I went to try it, the line was an hour. <laughs> Sorry. And I was like, thank God you you... And then thank God they were so smart. She had this incredible idea to make a cupcake ATM. (laughs) So the first time I actually got a cupcake was, and even that had a line around the block, but that was a little bit of a shorter line. It was really special and you started to get a lot of press because Mm. it was, it was remarkable. People wanted to talk about it. And so they were talking about this. And then tell them about your little trip to Chicago.
0: Okay. I'm, I'm going to tell them about that. First, I'm going to paint a little bit more of a picture of the lines. 'Cause we were actually accused by several people of packaging cupcakes slowly so that we could keep a line out the door. I was like people will say I wish we were that smart. We were merely incompetent. We didn't have I was like baking as fast as I could out of the bag with my little KitchenAid mixers. We did not have recipes that could scale. We did not have, like, we were drinking from a fire hose from day one. Our cupcake case was constantly bare. I was just out there apologizing, hoping people would give us a second chance and like trying to, you know, keep it together. And, you know, I never recommend not having the product that you promise your customers you'll have, but I will say they did give give us a second chance. And I think it was because they saw me in there really genuinely working as hard as I could and doing the best that I could. And I think that goes a long way. I think when people see that authenticity, right? And I really was a deer in headlights. So no, there was nothing strategic about the line. That was an SOS. (laughs)
1: And I'm so glad that you did tell that part of the story before we tell this next thing that happens because it really gives everyone a sense of context
0: for just how Herculean it was Mm -hmm. that you pulled that off. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it really was just Charles and I pulling double, triple shifts for the longest time because we we didn't even know how to hire anyone. Like, we had no experience in the bakery world. Talk about just figuring it out. That's exactly what we did, and we just worked our hearts out to do it. So... We worked, you know, there were nights where we slept on the bakery floor, we rolled up those aprons and we were just exhausted. Particularly that first holiday season, we were the gift to give on every studio, every agent's list. And so we'd finally gotten through that holiday season. It was January. And yes, a lot of people in LA were on cleanses, so we weren't as busy as normal, And we were so excited about it. We were like, please, like green juice, green juice, right <laughs> down the street. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. There's a creation, just a few doors down. We, we just needed a breath, right? And so it was one of those nights where we were kind of closing up early. We'd like turn the ovens off and, you know, we were cleaning up and the phone rang and it, the caller ID said Harpo Studios. And I figured it was Harpo Studios, you know, they have an office in Santa Monica, or at least they used to, and they probably just wanted cupcakes delivered, so I just sort of haphazardly, you know, answered the phone. And the woman on the other line was a producer for the Oprah Winfrey show. Now, remember, circa 2005, truly the height of Oprah Winfrey. And she said, Oprah loves your cupcakes. And I, I mean, you just had to pick me up off the floor. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) what? <laughs> Say that again. Wait, let me get my recording. Um, because I worshipped her. I worshipped her. And she was such an... I mean, who doesn't, first of all, but also particularly during that time when I was very lost and unemployed and looking for like, what is next? She was on my TV screen every day, yeah. sitting down to watch that Oprah and get inspired. Yeah. And so I was like, wow. And she said, we would like to feature your cupcakes. I was like, we would love that. And she said, in Chicago, I'm like, no, I know where the show is. She goes, tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. And I was like, okay, um, one moment. Fire up the ovens! (laughs) (laughs) And we baked those cupcakes as fast as we could. And they offered to send a courier, which they were going to put those cupcakes in the bottom of the plane. And I was like... No, 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 no. Those cupcakes can, they're gonna be pancakes. Let me tell you right now, we will do whatever it takes. I mean, Charles looked into, we had no money. Charles looked into like, you know, hiring a private plane. I was like, well, Charles, we can't do that. But what we did end up doing is we baked as many cupcakes as we could, stacked them up in boxes in, um our big shopping bags. Charles's brother happened to be in town, so the three of us, Went to the airport with nothing other than bags and, like, cupcakes under our arms. We booked a red-eye. We were the most annoying people in the airport, like, putting the, each cupcake box through the security belt. Everyone was like, ugh. But all we had to say was, we're going Oprah! And it was like, yeah! It was like, it was magic. It was like a magic pill. I should just try that in my daily life. I, would, I would, Wouldn't work. She doesn't have a show anymore. (laughs) (laughs) It's so amazing. So keep going. What happened? So we end up, you know, backstage and the idea was that all of these servers were going to come bring these cupcakes out to the audience members on little plates and she was going to talk about how Barbara Streisand had sent her sprinkles cupcakes and how she loved them. And I just remember Oprah walking in like pre-hair and makeup and she was kind of groggy-eyed and she walked in and I was just like, Mm It was like a religious moment. And then Mary J. Blige was the guest star. You know how she would have these musical guests? I was like, this day could not get any better. <laughs> so anyway, she came out. She like looked at me. She complimented me on my sweater or something. I like have not watched it since. And and then I proceeded to watch backstage. But my cupcakes came out on plates, like all well choreographed and oprah Basically, said a love letter to Sprinkles Cupcakes. We were one store. We'd been open for less than a year, and I mean, with when that show aired, we became an international brand. We had the we'd actually installed another phone line, another phone system. Really, someone to answer the phones, and even then, it was too much. We had calls coming in from around the world, and that line r- snaked around the block. I mean, I remember Barbara Streisand calling to say. Hey, like, how's it going? She, Well, not her, but her assistant. She was like, Barbara would like to know. And I was like, oh, we're sending her a picture of what she did. Thank you very much. And it was like the, you know, line staking around the block. And it was just, you know, that trajectory just went up from there. It's amazing. <laughs> I've heard this story many
1: times, but this story always gets me emotional because, again... That whole scene that she just so beautifully depicted, you could just see the whole shot one after the other. But that only happened because they had the courage to follow that inclination and call the guy back and say, we're going to put all of this money into just having 600 square feet. We're going to bet on our dream. Mm -hmm. And then you set yourself up for Oprah does call. But people always look at it the other way. Mm -hmm. Well, if Oprah ever called me, Mm -hmm. well, if this ever became an opportunity, of course I wouldn't turn it down. It's like, what did Amy say before? What is Candace saying now? You are the opportunity. You are the magic. You are Willy Wonka. And that's why it matters. And it doesn't necessarily matter whether or not that for you is snowboarding in the Paralympic Games, dancing with the stars, or making cupcakes that become an international phenomenon, you can do that. Your life is this magical canvas. And when you turn on that light inside of you, what are you going to be met with? And each one of you, it's like life is like a box of chocolates. Each one of you has a unique imprint, a unique gift. You ever notice how human beings have a different fingerprint? Cats and dogs, they don't necessarily have that but we do and we don't evolutionary there's no need for that but I think we have it because we each make a different imprint but are you stamping the world with yours are you betting on your whisper and your dream because maybe if you do then indeed you do wind up in Chicago. So let's go into this, which I, I really believe like my husband went to business school at UCLA, which is by all standards, it's one of the best business schools. And he says to me, Kath, listening to your podcast, that's how you get an MBA. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to go to business school, fine, go. But if you really want to learn how to make a profitable business, getting paid to be you by this book, oh. by this book, just this book right here which you can all get anywhere books are sold. So, it's very generous that you not only went on to build an actual empire where there were stores everywhere all over but then you're telling people how. You're telling people how you did this, this a simple recipe to turn your passion into profit. Mm-hmm. So, what are some of the things that you think are key mm. that you talk about in this book that people should start to put into action?
0: So, Sweet success is a guide to entrepreneurship. It is told through my experience as a first time founder building sprinkles. And I go through all of the mindset, which is foundational to not just building a business, but really going after any unwieldy goal, right? And then I talk about branding and marketing, you know, building your team, finding your mentors, finding funding. This is peppered with really fun stories pop culture references because sprinkles was really part of the zeitgeist um, but it's also filled with actionable tools this is your roadmap to building a brand building a personal brand finding your network of support tuning into your passion and your purpose and I think you know we've talked a little bit about passion today but I do think you know passion is that enthusiasm that infectious energy that I really was channeling when I started baking cupcakes that drew people to me. You know, I wanted a wholesale ingredient supplier because I was going broke buying little bottles of vanilla and all the expensive chocolate (laughs) at Trader Joe's. But you know, wholesalers, they don't supply to people in their apartment, in their living room. But I called and I was so passionate and I said, no, no, I know, hold on. I know I'm just in my apartment right now, but I will be your biggest client one day. And sure enough, he rolled up with that chocolate by the like 10 pound (laughs) bar. Like, but not only that, the passion brings in, you know, the people who want to work for you, your customers, like everything is just sort of, it's that enthusiasm, that infectious energy that just brings people to you and is also that extra battery pack, really, that keeps you charged when the times get tough, which there's always times that get tough, right? In any journey.
1: I love this. This to me, I mean, everybody has, especially when you have this level of success, success leaves clues. And so you could really give a course on every aspect of business. Mm. But one of my favorite things that you talk about, you talk about in part two, package it, embrace your inner marketer. And I want to talk about this for a Mm. second because there is a market for everything, right? There's a market for clothes, candles, retreats, hotels, and there's a low end and a high end and when Candace created Sprinkles Cupcakes, yeah. I remember you telling me, which I I know, but I hadn't thought about it. You're like, yeah, the challenge was people could get a cupcake for 75 cents at the grocery store. And we weren't charging 75 cents. We were charging a few dollars for a cupcake. And so I want you to help us understand the DNA of what marketing is, mm-hmm. what branding and packaging and the story you tell from the second someone looks at the cupcake, Mm -hmm. that's what they're buying. Mm -hmm. That's why they're spending the extra money. Mm -hmm. In addition to they're freshly baked when you go to sprinkles, they haven't been sitting on the shelf for a long time and the ingredients are high quality, but there is an elevation to the branding. Mm -hmm. There's an elevation to the story being conveyed Mm -hmm. through the branding, which is really what marketing is. Mm -hmm. And I think that You teach that better than anyone. So tell us a little bit about when someone says, well, what's marketing or how do I, you know, get some of the market share and bring some
0: audience to what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? What should people learn about that? So first off, you're absolutely right that when I first started on this journey, cupcakes were essentially a commodity. And in looking at my business idea from truly a business perspective, I thought, this actually isn 't a great idea, because anyone can make a cupcake. How am I going to defend my business right? Where is the moat here? And what I realized was it really was the brand, and from day one, I had to lean into that brand in, in such a sort of intentional way and th- listen, I was there too, but a lot of people think that brand has to do with the logo or the look and feel. That's your brand identity and that's super important. I mean, the look and feel of Sprinkle stores, the look and feel of Sprinkle's cupcakes and boxes were absolutely foundational to the brand. But really, brand starts with your reason for being your why. Like, what is your company's, your product's purpose? And for me, it was all about elevating simple everyday pleasures elevating simple everyday moments. So my branding had to reflect that It had to feel elevated. It had to feel aspirational. I was in the business of taking something that people thought they knew something that was nostalgic that we'd all grown up with, you know, celebrating with at birthday parties, but giving it a twist, making it surprising, delighting people with that food again in new ways. And so everything had to follow that. Now, Early on, as I said, money was tight, and there wasn't, at the time, any off-the-shelf cupcake packaging, except for those plastic clamshells, which I'll be damned I wasn't going to use those. (laughs) And so what we did instead, and this is just to show you how, you know, when you're up against a wall, it can be when you're at your most creative. You know those bakery boxes, those dozen boxes that, like, were pink on the outside? I think a lot of donut shops use them, right? Pink on the outside and and brown on the inside, crap brown. And we're like, oh, well, I guess we got to use those, and our cupcakes are going to be sloshing around. There's nothing no inserts or anything. But how are we going to make this our own? So when you buy them, they come flat. And what we did, it was so simple, it's silly, but it really made a difference. We folded them inside out. So the outside was this brown, craft, very natural, artisanal-looking box. And then when you opened it up, you had that shock of pink, and it really set off the cupcakes. So just, I mean, that didn't cost any money, right? That was just thinking, how can we be innovative here? How can we surprise people here? Let's just turn this standard bakery box on its head. Because we didn't have the money for the the large minimums of custom packaging. And you also did
1: something really simple, which was really huge, in the way you even laid the cupcakes mm. in the case. Tell them about that, because mm-hmm. that when you pointed that out to me, I'm like... You're right. Mm-hmm. I've never seen that anywhere
0: else. Explain what you, what you did. So if you think about old sort of traditional mom and pop bakeries, they have these standard cases that are sort of low. Like, yeah, you see at the supermarket, they're low and you kind of have to bend down and you're seeing the cupcake from the side and they're all smushed together on, the, on a tray. And it's not very, I mean, th- sure, they look delicious, but they're just not very aesthetic. And if we were going to build a temple to cupcakes, everything had It had to be aesthetic. It had to be in the details. And so what we did is we built a cupcake case that was eye level. So when you walked in, you were immediately just overwhelmed by all these beautiful cupcakes. Also made the cupcake case slightly at an angle. So you were presented with the most beautiful part of the cupcake, the frosting and the decorations, which I do have to also say was something that we elevated. Um, if we were, you know, reinventing the cupcake, we had to reinvent the traditional decoration, the sprinkle. And so this was one of the ways I thought, how am I going to differentiate my cupcakes? Right. Started with the chocolate brown cupcake wrappers. Also the, the hand frosted frosting, we call it the sprinkle swirl. And then all the way to the top, which was that, that sprinkle, which we call the modern dot. And, each of our cupcake flavors, not all of them, but most of our cupcake flavors sort of own a specific colorway. This is our red velvet cupcake, which is our bestseller and really iconic um, and synonymous with the Sprinkles brand. And so again, we opened our doors. We were met with instant success, but with success comes what? (laughs) Competition and emulation and a lot of times imitation. So I was like, okay, we're leaning into brand, but what else can we really lean into? We applied for trademark protection for that modern dot, and we were granted it. Mm, so good. So seeing things through fresh eyes, through a new perspective, I was bringing sort of this tech you know, idea and this finance idea to the bakery world, which a lot of people probably wouldn't have thought of. But that was the one thing we were able to protect. So as people opened cupcake shops around the world that looked surprisingly like ours, there was nothing we could do. If they put a modern dot on, though, we could. We could protect it. And that was really important. Yeah. And what's also really
1: important is this sweet success. This sweet success that we heard about, and it went in such an epic proportion. I mean, it went around the world when she was on Oprah. But it was already a sweet success. We talked about that line around the block. And I want to really take a microscope and really zoom in on the first day, Mm -hmm. on the second day, on the third day. Because... Something you heard her say was how present she was to the process, how hard she was working. They were there. They were pulling shifts themselves. They were always standing there. And so people felt that. And here's what I want you to know is that a lot of times we make great the enemy of good. So we, like Amy even said earlier, if I would have even considering the Olympics, I wouldn't have thought that was possible. I just took the next step and the next step after that. My friend, Britt Morin, who's a mutual friend, she was telling me that years ago, she worked at Facebook. She's done a bunch of things. And now she's really in the venture capital space, helping women founders create and succeed with their own businesses. But she said when she was working at Facebook, she remembers Mark Zuckerberg coming into the office. There was a small team at the time. And he said, oh my God, we are going to be really like the biggest thing that's ever happened to the internet. And she said, well, how do you know that? And he said, well, we just got this data back and our virality rate is 1.3. And she said, well, oh my gosh, that doesn't seem like a lot at all. Like I would think you were going to say like our virality rate was 9,000 or it was something, or at least like a nine, is there a nine in there? And you're not even saying two. And he said, no, you didn't hear what I just said. Let me tell you what I'm saying. I'm saying that every person who uses Facebook is compelled that they don't think about it they tell at least 1.3 people for sure for certain it's a fait accompli. What did we learn during COVID? We learned that when they would say at the WHO or the CDC, "Oh my gosh, the virality rate is it's over 1," they said, "We're going to be we're going to be in a horrible crisis, the hospitals will be overrun." Because it meant that it was a absolute, that one person would spread it to one person for sure. Once it came under one, they said, we're going to see some relief. We're going to see some relief. And we did. It went around the world, that virus, because one person, it was a foregone, they were going to give it to one person at a time. You remember that. Mm-hmm. We all lived it. That's what happens in a successful business. That's what happened with Sprinkles Cupcakes. There's surveys you get when you leave Grocery stores sometimes, or you leave Target, they're like, hey, would you mind like going online, taking the survey? And it's going to ask you your satisfaction, like 0 to 10. They don't even look at anything under an 8. If you're under an 8, they're worried. Because it's only if you circle 9 or 10 that you for sure are going to say to someone, oh, you have to go to Target. They have this really cute display right now. If you're under a 9, they've lost you. Mm-hmm. With sprinkles, the reason that line was there... Is because, and we're going to, this is where I'm going, I'm going to ask you about this. When people ate that first bite, it was done. They were going to tell someone else for sure. And truly when I started my podcast in 2017 there were already hundreds of thousands if not millions of podcasts and people said to me what what are you doing that's so different like you're going to talk about entrepreneurship or creativity or purpose like everyone's done that and I'm like I know but I really feel strongly that words from the heart speak to the heart and if I can connect with one person a day one they will they'll tell somebody And now we're, we made it to 40 million downloads and we just did this like seven figure podcast deal, which is, they said to me, you know, this, we don't do this. Right. And I'm like, it's, it's surreal, but not if you really understand virality, you don't need to connect with a hundred people today who love you and are obsessed with you. You need one person by the end of today. Who's not lukewarm, but obsessed. And what you created was an obsession no one could not talk about. It was like, have you been to Sprinkles? Did you go to Sprinkles? Oh my God, you've never tasted anything Mm. like that. And that has to do with your presence, not just the presence of what's in the ingredients, but why don't you share a little bit about how much it mattered to you to be the one to stand there, to do the baking, to hand that cupcake over, how the first sale, the second sale, those first 3,000 sales, Mm. your entire being was in them. And what is that really about? Because that's really the secret. That's the secret to success. That's really what we need is to invest in that. So put us there in that mindset and also in that deliverable. How are you oriented to knowing and caring that much, being that invested in every customer to their experience being that
0: level of an experience? I was so just aligned with what I was doing. I felt so strongly about everyone needed a place to celebrate A great day or get away from a bad day, a place where people could come together and all agree that a cupcake is just delicious. Isn't it? You know, there's a lot of places to go where we can all argue, but there are very few places we can go where we can just go and enjoy a simple pleasure and feel like a kid again. I know it sounds trite, but it's true. And what you're saying is so important. I mean, organic marketing, this word of mouth marketing is the holy grail because you're not paying for it. And it means your customers are doing your marketing for you. And this is actually something that they talk about in the tech world as well. They say, do things that don't scale. Now, that is very counterintuitive for me. If you think about what tech companies were meant to do, it's to be able to scale really fast. But they say in the beginning, you have to do things that don't scale. Even the founders of DoorDash in the beginning days, those two founders were delivering The food from the restaurants to the customers. That's the only way they could develop those relationships, learn the problems that, you know, people were having, find the solutions, keep tweaking, keep tweaking. And so it's, it's really incredible advice. Start small. And I also think a great story, authentic story, origin story goes a long way. I mean, I was behind that counter all day long and people, when they connect with the brand, they want to know more. They want to know the people behind it. They want to know the story behind it. And they really loved this idea that we had just sort of, you know, left the finance world to bet it all on cupcakes. And it was a simple story that was packaged, you know, sort of a little nugget that people could pass along to the next person when they were talking about sprinkles.
1: Yeah, totally true. And some of you have heard me say this before, because there's a few lessons that to me are just like, so important that we should be repeating these lessons. And Seth Godin said to me that most people are trying to be vanilla ice cream. Like you want everyone to like you, you Mm. want all the attention everywhere. And you think almost like that's the job at hand. Like you need to be that. And he said to me, Kathy, who do you think has sold more records and made more money? Taylor Swift or the Grateful Dead? And I was like, Taylor Swift, like, I don't have a Grateful Dead record. (laughs) I've never been to a Grateful Dead concert. Taylor Swift, she's pretty badass, you know? And he's like, she really is. But I'm looking at this from a business perspective for a second. I just want to show you inside what you might not have guessed. He said, if you meet somebody who likes Taylor Swift, and there's a lot of people, she's like Vanilla Ice Cream, a lot of people love her. There's a lot to love. She's really talented. Her songs are really hooky. She's been writing since she's like 14 years old. She's beautiful. She's cool. He said, if you ask somebody who really likes her, they'll be like, I love her. How many concerts have you been to? I've seen her four times. Wow. That's cool. How many records do you have? Three? Great. Ask somebody who loves The Grateful Dead. Yeah. How many concerts have you been to? <laughs> They're going to say 406. <laughs> How many records do you have? How many have re- Every record. <laughs> I have 97 records. I have a special closet dedicated to their records. He says to me, Kathy, do you think The Grateful Dead were ever... On the top of the billboard chart, the answer is no. He said, most people, most people, if you round it up to the nearest 10 million, have never heard their music. However, the people who've heard it are obsessed with them. Hmm. It's a lifestyle. Hmm. They dress up in that clothing to be married in. Like, they're <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like They are... Lots of bumper stickers on the cars, too. Right, lots yep, of bumper stickers. yep. They're dead heads, right? Like, their identity is now being a fan of this band. Their identity. They'll call themselves, I'm a deadhead. Mm-hmm. Like, the, oh, we're, oh, that's why we make sense as friends, because that's me. <laughs> How many people walk around and say that about Taylor Swift? Like, it's not even in the same galaxy. And she's amazing. And she's super talented. And it's not in the same stratosphere. What you just said is so important. People will say to me all the time, I'd love to start a business, but you know I don't have money for marketing, right? I'm like, tell me again why that's Mm -hmm. the problem? Mm -hmm. It's not the problem, and it never will be the problem. You just said organic word of mouth is Mm -hmm. everything because you're not paying for that marketing. Mm -hmm. Your customers are working for you. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you? Because it was around the
0: block. Is that a surprise? It was such a surprise because I set the stage for you guys. Remember, everyone said it wouldn't work. So in those those first days, I had my cupcake case all polished and filled and, you know, within three hours, it was all gone. So my whole mission in life was to sort of bring these cupcakes to the world and make people happy. And by noon, I had no cupcakes and people were really mad. (laughs) I remember one woman came in and she screamed at us and I was just sitting there like shaking underneath my baseball hat. And she was like, you guys are incompetent and you're definitely going out of business. And I was like, awesome. (laughs) I mean, she had a point. We were kind of incompetent, but I will say (laughs) very lucky that we did not go out of business. Very lucky. But, but there was something about those early customers who, felt like they discovered us. Right. And they took pride in the fact that they had told all their friends and they'd come in and they'd say, well, you know, I really helped you with your business and, or I'm your number one customer. And I'd always smile and say, I thank you so much because there were like a hundred number one customers. Right. But, but the fact that they took that pride was unbelievable. They felt like they had some ownership in my business. That's how much they cared. And that's how much the brand resonated with them. Yeah, and that says so much about your humility. Like
1: Candace is such a cool person. I remember when I a lot of times these famous people like show up on my podcast. I just interviewed Chelsea Clinton for God's sakes. Like I and I ha- Ralph Macchio was on last week and I I had to act normal in front of Ralph Macchio. Like <laughs> I was five when the karate cake came out. I was like, I'm not gonna be able to breathe. It's cool, it's totally normal. Um, but I felt that way about you too, because I've been eating sprinkles cupcakes. I moved to LA in two thousand three, like I kind of watched the whole thing and have been eating my way through it. It shows it's okay. It's fine. Um, and my kids, the only show that my kids and I have ever watched the whole series together is Sugar Rush every single episode. And you're so humble. And I remember when we met and I was like, oh, this is why she's so kind. She's so cool. Like everybody loves you. Like we love you. Reese Witherspoon loves you. Like everybody loves you because you're just the nicest person. So it would have been already awesome. It would have been already more than enough if this was the whole story. But then Candace is so creative and so likable that she winds up on TV. And then you decide, I love other people too, so I'm going to like start investing in other businesses and then you find like the best pizza maker possible and get behind everything that he's about. So, let's just talk about what is that muscle that allows you to be creative and then creative And creative in ways where it's like, you're making cupcakes, now you're on TV doing a show about cupcakes. Now you're finding other entrepreneurs and seeing the creativity and helping them become a success. How do we all ignite that level of creativity in ourselves? What is that about?
0: So I think it really is about having a growth mindset. And I know that that's sort of a hackneyed term at this point, but it's so important. Like when you speak about humility, I don't even understand that because for me, I am constantly putting myself in situations where I don't know what the heck is going on. I always want to be the dumbest one in the room, right? And sometimes that can lead to a little imposter syndrome because I can't just rest on my laurels and do things that I've Already good at, oh no, I have to do something new now. But I think that's where the growth is. That is where, you know, you ultimately do build confidence because by continuing to challenge yourself, continuing to take on new projects and new ideas, you see what you're capable of. And, you know, I think women suffer from imposter syndrome more than our male counterparts. Sometimes it's because we don't see as many women in positions of power. So that hasn't been modeled for us. And so we have that conditioning. But a lot of times it's because we haven't you know, taken those steps to really, really stretch and see what we can do. And so I encourage everybody to just, you know, I don't know, take on a new challenge. I love that you just said that as your
1: answer. Like you just said something so, so, so important. All of these things are so important, but sometimes when, again, somebody is just this, they say it so effortlessly that you don't really get the magnitude of it. But what Candace just said is I really like being, and I don't really think it's true, but this is how you said (laughs) it. Like the, the dumbest person in the room, meaning she said a lot of women tend to have maybe even more than men, the sense of imposter syndrome, Mm -hmm. and you won't put yourself in those situations but you actually lean into that. Mm. How would your life change if you actually leaned into moments where you did feel a little over your skis? Mm. And what could happen if that was something you actually wanted to make part of your day, part of your week, rather than, I have to have this all figured out first. Mm. Like, where's the magic in that? That's such an important lesson.
0: So I think it becomes a muscle, right? That you can exercise by continuing to challenge yourself, take on those things that are kind of scary. Give you a little signal that maybe you shouldn't be doing this, but reframe that as, you know what? I'm doing something I'm not that good at, but I'm challenging myself. I'm proud of myself. And I'm going to get to the other side. Might be falling flat on my face, but you'll survive. But you also might just absolutely succeed. And wouldn't that be great? And wouldn't that be great? I just want to add one story, which was in 2008, we were opening our fifth largest, most expensive sprinkle store to date. It was in the Palo Alto Shopping Center, which is a very Tony shopping center in Silicon Valley. And I remember we opened to lines out the door, and we were so excited and busy. And then all of a sudden, all this news started, you know, just happening and about people losing their houses and about banks possibly, you know, going under. And I was like, Oh my God, we are selling $3 cupcakes and people are losing their homes. We are dead. We are literally dead. Like this, this has been a fun ride. It is over. And so I went in the back with Charles and we were like, what do we do? And he's like, we just keep doing what we do. We keep delivering on the mission. We just keep bringing the joy and bringing the cupcakes. Let's just do this. And I was like, yep, you're right. Okay. And so we ended up scaling the majority of Sprinkles business during the Great Recession. What's what's, what was it called? Recession. The Great Recession, yeah. right? It was called the Great Recession. During the Great Recession, those two years where there was so much financial pro- trouble because there was such an emotional connection with our brand. And people still at the end of the day, particularly during turbulent times, they want to have that... That joy, that lightness, that pleasure. They still want to treat themselves. And so they will make room in their budgets, whether they're shrinking or not, for that escape, for that novelty. And so I know that sometimes we want to, you know, hide in fear of, of bad times, but you gotta just keep showing up and doing what you do. And if you're, if you're delivering a great product, and you're standing behind your mission, I mean, people will make room for you in their budget. And that's what we found.
1: That's so powerful. It's so powerful. And I think we've all had that thought, oh my gosh, people are struggling. Who am I to have a business? Like, remember what the economy needs for you to have a business. Like, charge so that then you have money, you can go invest it on Main Street, you can help her business, you can... When you make your home better, let's say you repaint it, you just increase the value of your neighbor's home, right? Right? Like We're really one. We're really all working together. There really is no way to separate it. So the best thing you can do is just keep being creative and co-sign abundance. If Deepak Chopra is right, and his last book is called Abundance, and this is a man who was born in India, he's definitely experienced firsthand. He knows what it looks like when people don't have. And he makes a very compelling case that this universe is abundant. Mm -hmm. That every acorn is the promise of thousands of forests. And so if you really co-sign not what people perceive, but what's really true and the abundance that is Amy Purdy and the abundance that is this story that you're continuing to write, then you don't just build a business. You had competition because you opened up a possibility. And I just want to give you a little shout out because so many entrepreneurs come on my show, like Sarah Gibson Tuttle. And she was like, I saw people like Candace Nelson. I saw people like Ali Webb. And I'm like, maybe I could do something that's mm-hmm. elevated with nails. Mm-hmm. You literally built businesses that you don't even know about mm-hmm. just by standing for abundance, standing for possibility. And especially, you're a woman. like, You need to stand for the next generation of girls and show them
0: mm-hmm.
1: what's possible. Because... All those guys that are raising venture capital money right now, they're not going to slow down. So who are you really serving by not having a big fat checkbook? And if you've seen anything in the news, if you happen to read anything, it matters. Mother Teresa said it takes a checkbook to change the world. I know that people care about getting out to vote. You vote with your wallet. You don't have any more time to sit by, who am I to charge? Who am I to start a business? Nope. Time's up on that. You need a big business because you need a big voice and your vote needs to count. And the only way that happens is by writing a check. Amen. Mm-hmm. So stop slinking back because of being codependent. What are people going to think if I build a big bit? Bu- you know what she can do right now? She can make a difference in all kinds of areas in this world because she can say, hmm, I think that's the person who should be in D.C. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to write this check. I'm going to create this fundraiser. I'm going to talk to my 16 other amazing, badass female friends. And we're going to get together and we're going to make this kind of impact just in our own community. We're going to invest in other women's businesses. So is it really greedy to charge $3 for a cupcake? Or did it actually create what opens all the doors? How much generosity... Do you give by being small? How much are you giving to the world by holding back and not charging anything? What did you just do? How much did you just offer? How much abundance did you just give to the woman down the street? How much is rippling to the women in Iran right now because you're sitting back here and don't have enough money to do anything? It's not okay. It's not a joke. And that's why we're here today. It's so important. (coughs) And you're, what you're doing is so important. And that's why I said, like, never in my life would I ever want to follow Amy Purdy because she's, she literally is like, beyond the beyond the beyond. And these women sitting here, they need this. They need to take from what you're doing. It has to happen. They have to be able to hear this message. And not just hear this message, but have the courage to take that first step. Mm. And so it really is a big deal. And I'm so excited that this is what you chose to write about. Thank you. And so tell everybody where they can follow. There's a already
0: travel. a lot of bakers in this audience. So they're going to be like, I got that. Don't worry. We, we got that covered. But for those who don't, you can follow me on social at Candace Nelson. And that's C-A-N-D-A-C-E. I'm not an I-C-E. Nelson. Nelson. Instagram, TikTok, I'm also on LinkedIn, getting a little bit more active on LinkedIn. Um, and don't laugh at my TikToks, cause I already get a lot of flack from my kids on that. So embarrassing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> and... You're adorable. Sweet Success comes out November 8th, you can pre-order on Amazon, or you can also go to Readsweetsuccess.com, and that's all the so places great. you can find it. So me. great. Give her a round of applause! Thank you so much. It's been such an honor. You guys are amazing. Truly. Oh, my gosh. How incredible. So fun. All right, here are the
1: takeaways. Number one, bet on your dream. Number two, it's your enthusiasm and infectious energy that just brings people to you. It's also the extra battery pack that keeps you charged when the times get tough. Number three, your brand starts with your reason for being, your why, your purpose. Number four, word of mouth, marketing is the holy grail. You don't have to pay for it and it means your customers love your product so much that they're doing the marketing for you. Number five, it's okay to start small and do things that don't scale. Develop those relationships, learn the problems, find the solutions and keep tweaking. Number six, have a growth mindset, take on a new challenge, put yourself in situations where you don't know what the heck is going on. You're ultimately going to build confidence because by continuing to challenge yourself, continuing to take on new projects and new ideas, you see what you're capable of. Number seven, you might fall flat on your face, but you're going to survive. And on the other side, you also might just absolutely succeed. Number eight, sometimes we want to hide in fear of bad times, but you have to keep showing up and doing what you do. If you're delivering a great product and you're standing behind your mission, people will make room for you. And number nine, you need a big business because you need a big voice and your vote needs to to count, and the only way that happens is by writing a check. You don't have any more time to sit by and say, Who am I to charge? Who am I to start a business? No, the time is up. I can't thank you enough for listening to this show. It means so much to me that you're here. You guys have no idea how you've changed my life, how this podcast has changed my life. And we have created a movement. It is so incredible to see so many people starting their own businesses and getting paid to be them. I want to see you growing this business even more. I want to see you making thousands of dollars a month hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. I want to see you making millions a year. We've done almost 700 episodes to show you that it is possible for you to get paid to do what you love. It's about moving beyond the resistance. And so this program that I'm doing, Abundant Ever After, is so good. And I want to remind you to go check it out at kathyheller.com slash join. You can get it right now at a discounted rate. And this is what is going to help you see how I personally was able to bring that amount of money into my life because it's here, it's already here. If you enjoyed this episode, please let Candace know. Go buy her book. You can go follow her on Instagram at Candace Nelson and you can text the link to this episode to a friend or share about it or post about it on your Instagram and tag her and tag me because I want to repost it too because I want her to see how much this community loves her. And I would love to see you in that program, Abundant Ever After. You can start the program today if you sign up. You're going to love it and you're going to start to f- Feel this weight being dropped and all of a sudden, oh my gosh, just maybe you're going to be one of those people who I'm going to want to interview because you're going to be enjoying a feeling of resonance and fullness and creativity and the magic that life really has for you. I'll leave you with a song of mine. I love you so much.